0: Hello, and welcome to the e-commerce View podcast, a show dedicated to helping seven-figure-plus donors build incredible businesses and amazing lives. I'm your host, Andrew Udarian. And today on the show, i got a really good one for you. I, this one gave me a ton of takeaways for my site to, to implement. I've got Aaron Orendorf, who is the who was the editor for the Shopify Plus Enterprise blog and now is the uh, founder at iconiccontent.com. This man knows content marketing and B2B content incredibly well and gave me a ton of stuff to think about. We, we take a two-pronged approach to this episode. It's not theoretical, it's very hands-on. We take two in a case study approach. First part, we're looking at a post that he wrote that just went viral uh, 15,000 shares uh, on plus or minus on Facebook and We talk about how he, the whole process of how he researched it, how he promoted it, how he optimized it from an SEO perspective, from a marketing perspective, soup to nuts, the whole process. You can get get an idea of how, you know, how you could be doing this too. And then finally, we flip the script and look at my state of the merchant report. And I asked him to critique it. And oh, man, does he deliver? If you want to see me get like just wiped on the floor in terms of content marketing incompetence, you will enjoy this episode. So it was great. I asked him to do it. And he, he gave me tons of actionable stuff that I'm going to apply. And I'm sure uh, I'm guessing I'm not the only one making these mistakes. So stick around. It's, it's it's a fun one. A big thank you quickly to Greg and Kristen from CautionGear.com. Uh, these guys emailed me and said, hey, been listening for a long time. Thank you. I want to say thanks and send you one of our, our beefy bags. And I was like, ah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. I wasn't expecting a lot. And then this, this bag, this duffel bag shows up that looks like it could survive a nuclear blast, let alone, you know, some water. Super heavy-duty luggage. So, guys, I've been using it uh, when I've been moving and traveling around. So, thank you. At cautiongear.com with a K. Check them out if you're looking for some really beefy luggage. And then finally, before we get into the uh, episode with Aaron today, I want to give a big shout out to our two sponsors. First, Liquid Web. If, if you haven't heard of Liquid Web, you've probably heard of them from their hosting. I host all of uh, all of our sites there. But you particularly should check them out if you run a WooCommerce store because they have a phenomenal managed WooCommerce hosting environment that's super scalable. It's engineered from the ground up to make WooCommerce fast. Because if you're on WooCommerce, you know sometimes it's not exactly the speediest demon in the shop, right? And it's, it's really secure manages, helps you manage a lot of the upgrades for Woo and for, for WordPress. So check them out makes your life a lot easier if you're on WooCommerce. And you can learn more at ecommercefield.com forward slash liquid web. And then secondly, Clavio, who just did this week uh, or recently, very recently, a web series, their web series Race That Grow. They featured Mr. Banholtz, Eric Banholtz from Beard Brand. Really cool. Check it out, ecommercefield.com forward slash beard. To see Mr. Manholtz in all of his glory up close and high definition. And if you want to learn about how he's using Clavio to grow his business, some cool stuff. So, and if you're not using Clavio, you're leaving money on the table in terms of email marketing automation. They're best in class. They let you do an incredible amount of things in terms of personalized automated flows. And you should check and check them out, see why over 15,000 other merchants trust them. You can learn more about them and get started for free at Clavio.com forward slash ECF. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash ECF. All right, let's go ahead and get schooled on content marketing by Aaron. Aaron, good having you on, man. I want to kick things off with, you've been in the content game for about six plus years, maybe a little bit longer, and you've done everything from freelance on your own to in-house at Shopify to now running your own B2B uh, content agency. And so content marketing, obviously, it seems like it's getting it has gotten harder. I mean, it's kind of the nature of like the internet you know, these things get more saturated and, and more competition. I, how much harder from, from your perspective has it gotten to actually get visibility out there? I feel like it's gotten exponentially harder even in just five years, but what, what have you seen? Cause you have a way, you have much, uh, a much broader perspective than I do.
1: It's both harder and easier because of how flooded the marketplace is with B2B content and B2C content, very different game because you're there, you're overlapping all these different multimedia, YouTube to social to some on-site to email, but in B2B, like that written word backbone is foundational. And because it's just churn, 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 it's more difficult given the exponential rise in production itself, but the flip side of that is, 90 to 95% of everything that's getting churned out has little to zero strategy behind it. And especially for large brands with high domain authority, because of the churn element, just like the pump it out, pump it out, there's a lot of opportunity where large sites are competing against themselves. And so, up-and-comers, medium, and even enterprise-level organizations that are smart about it uh, and know some of these, like what seem to me, incredibly simple and easy tricks, strategies, can kill the game.
0: Can you talk about a little bit of those? Because you. You were at Shopify Plus, obviously for for quite a while as the editor there, and you know Shopify is a pretty great brand, got a, a pretty great domain authority as a foundation for for content. But you've also you know worked with you know especially now with iconic content, working with with brands that are probably you know almost all of them are not going to have that that same similar domain authority. So what are some of those? tactics, tricks you're talking about that can give you an edge over bigger brands, especially if you're maybe a, a store or a merchant that, or have a domain that, you know is isn't going to be on par with, with Shopify's reputational level.
1: Let me take this in two parts, kind of like the B2B versus B2C. And because I primarily write inside B2B, so Shopify, right, I'm selling technology, e-commerce technology to other businesses who then their end consumer is an actual B2C model. On that front, Everything I'm about to say, you're 100% right, should be taken with a grain of salt knowing that all of my success at Shopify was built on the back of like a plus 90 DA for the site itself. Now, let me caveat that with the fact that most of the other competitors in that space are playing with an equally DA heavy gun and they're all investing in the same keywords. So it's, it's not as though, it's like you, you do get to play at that level, but everyone else at that level is, is playing similarly. So it's kind of right. like the, yeah, like do, do understand what I say is inside this context, but everyone else is too.
0: But, but other people probably won't have the same level. It depends, but a lot of them won't have the same level of competition maybe as you had to deal with. So it kind of equals out.
1: And that's the second stream. One of the things that I stumbled into first at Shopify and then in the B2 C space, is quantity of content, especially on-site content, especially multiple URLs that are all competing for similar keywords, will eat you alive. So one of the things I really, really liked about your state of the merchant report was that free traffic still exists. SEO organic search is still a dominant channel of acquisition. And I'm not, I'm not messing with that, am I? You'd say that's, that was one of your findings?
0: Yeah, I, I, you look at the majority, the number one, if you, if you ask most store owners, what's your number one source of traffic, the number one source of traffic for most stores, even in 2019, is still organic. Yeah,
1: so I stumbled into that on accident. And my favorite little, like, one, two, three check is whenever I'm creating content, uh, I first try to figure out what have we built. And by we, I mean, like, the client I'm working with. What have we, they already built that we can steal from, repurpose, and especially consolidate? So something very simple, like a Google incognito search for site colon, enter the domain.com, space, whatever the keyword phrase is. What that does is it will. Basically give you results that Google has crawled from just that domain with just those keywords inside of it. And I would do this as a first step back at Shopify. I do this with all of my clients today. And then we collect, okay, what are all of the different pages that Google thinks are trying to rank for the same phrase. Because in that sense, you're cannibalizing, you're competing with yourself. It also gives you, this is the second point, a base to start with. So you're not starting from zero. And it's so much easier to edit and consolidate and take the best of the best from multiple pieces than it is to just start something from scratch. So there's an economy of effort involved in that. And then the third is once we build a page, a URL to rule them all, redirect Everything from those original URLs, 301s, to that new URL. And Google is incredible at the 301 process now and basically passing all of the page authority, all of the link juice from those various pages to the new page. That was like an amazing aha moment for me when I sort of experimented with this and was like, holy, like I did this. Over Christmas break, two, three years ago, because I'm not kidding you, the SEO team I was working with said, don't do this. So I waited till everybody was away and nobody was manning the <laughs> No, I'm dead serious. And I redirected like eight URLs that were all competing for this one thing to a new one. And 24 hours later, we had like the snippet plus the number one result. It was just insane. I was like, oh my gosh, I've cracked the code. I'm a genius.
0: So, so I got to ask you about this. So let's say you're doing, well, let's say you're talking about, ERP solutions, and you go to you're running without on your site, and you look, and you've got a dozen different ERP. It'd be pretty niche site, I guess. Maybe it's a bad example, but you got a dozen different ERP articles. You take all of those, you all redirect them to one master page like you're saying. Is that is that a directory page? Because if you do that, obviously the other ones, you've got to they're not gonna, you know, more or less they they don't exist. So are you taking all those twelve and distilling them down into one master article? Or are you which I'm guessing is what you're talking about, or are you trying to say have a hub that links out to all of those and then you kinda have to go back and rename the URLs. What what do you do with the content from all those twelve when you redirect them to the to the one master, you know, end all be all article or page?
1: We're really getting inside baseball with this stuff. You can do it in either direction. So you can if you have good control over your URL structure, if you're operating on WordPress, something like that, then I absolutely recommend it's it's all basically driven down by here's the seed term, ERP solution. But ERP solution is going to have a whole bunch of other probably pretty substantial keyword volume, longer-ish keywords to go with it. And so I just like I do a, a big a big keyword dive to start with that seed term, that master term, and then I want to find out, okay, do these clump together? Are there a whole bunch of terms about like definitions, strategies, best practices, general searches related to ERP? Okay, I'm going to batch all those together, figure out what's the most dominant keyword. That's going to be the main staple page. So it's like domain.com ERP solution. But then there's maybe like a bunch of other ones that are associated with challenges, issues, troubleshooting this that makes another cluster or clump and that's going to become the the next sub page so it's domain.com slash erp dash solutions slash problems whatever the dominant biggest keyword volume is for that and so i build it out like that where i have these like clumps of keywords that's one way to do it that's a little more advanced so you might have one master page the domain.com slash erp solutions and then three to maybe five even sub pages but but they're all built on that same url structure. That's a really complex way to do it. And I love doing it that way if you have control. But I literally never did that at Shopify Plus because we just didn't have control over URL structure like that. And it's really labor intensive to build individual pages. So just throwing everything the one blog post. This is the giant freaking huge beast of a post. Everything's going to that one. So there's two ways to do it. And one's a little more advanced depending on the lift. But the other one, I've never really run into too many limitations with that. And it's a lot easier to do.
0: Interesting, and then all those those permutations of your master keyword or you know, ERP solutions, ERP problems, your ER, you know ERP providers. Then you can just obviously you're going to optimize for that that head keyword term, and then the other ones you'll either use as, as section headings, you work it into the copy, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yes, and so here, here's the thing, right? This, for your audience, man, who cares about ERPs? I mean, they're a nightmare anyway. They cost a bunch of money, yada yada yada. I just so I did a little experiment about like three months ago, blew my mind. I was doing all this stuff in B2B, just like we talked about. And I was like, I wonder if this is true for consumer products. So I went down this rabbit hole and I started doing Google things for like how to apply eyeliner. And what's so interesting to me is how to apply eyeliner. I did this with a bunch of other ones I can talk about in a second. But that was like my initial experiment. And it turns out there's two sometimes three cosmetic brands that show up on page one of Google for that term. It opens with a YouTube video by Sephora. So kudos to them for nailing that. Then there's Into the Gloss, there's Maybelline, and sometimes Bobby Brown Cosmetics shows up as well. They're not as strong. It doesn't always appear. But everything else is like content, like Glamour.com and uh, uh, Cosmopolitan. But these three cosmetic brands show up. So I I was thinking like, okay, what explains that? Why are only three? Don't other people make how to apply eyeliner content who are in cosmetics? And of course they do, right? So let's check out to see if it's domain authority. Instagloss has like position three. Maybelline has position seven. And then Bobby Brown somewhere on page two or page one. Turns out Into the Gloss has the lowest domain authority, not only of those pages, but I did this little experiment with like, okay, let me collect the 16 major legacy brands like CoverGirl and a bunch of other ones, see what their domain authority is. Uh, Into the Gloss has the lowest domain authority. So it can't be domain authority. That's just the determinative factor. Then I did that site, colon, domain.com, space, how to apply eyeliner for all 16, 17, and Sephora, and Ulta, and for Into the Gloss to see like, how are they all stacking up? And the average, Google was crawling and giving results for like 2,000 pages. And that was abstracting Sephora and Ulta out of it because they just have so many products, it just totally skewed the whole data set. Maybelline had like 600 results. Into the Gloss, 300. And so I said, I was like, that is interesting. It's the same thing as in B2B. It's, it's super focused. It's like there's way less content on the site. It's cannibalizing and competing for the same keyword. Google isn't confused by it. And I think also because just Into the Gloss makes good content, it also rewards the fact that it doesn't have to choose. It doesn't have to like figure out which one of these pages is supposed to be the page. Into the Gloss makes it far easier than all the other sites to do that. So I did this with like shoes, like shoe fit, how to find the right shoe size. Same exact thing turned out. I did it with like t-shirts and khakis and bracelets and other jewelry things. And dude, like no joke, every single time the same thing happened. These contents, the, the sites that were smaller and newer had less content, were outranking all of these giant legacy sites. Now that's not necessarily true for straight up product searches where you have to fight it out with other product pages and ads. But for content-related searches, I did not find like an, uh, an exception to that rule.
0: That's interesting, and, and obviously, you couldn't go back and check. Hey, did these guys go and take a bunch of their their you know maybe into the gloss had you know six hundred? They consolidated them down per year strategy, and, and you can't go back and look and see if they did that. But but did you see if there was any? any trend or, or a commonality where they had that one page as kind of the master hub of everything and then it kind of maybe had some subpages off of that? Was that another commonality you discovered?
1: I didn't find that like a really savvy URL structure. What I did find is that Into the Gloss was very disciplined about any other eyeliner-related content. So they, they only used like how to apply eyeliner in this one hardcore, like this is the how to apply eyeliner article. Everything else was like synonyms of apply, do, tutorial and things like that, and then specific things like winged eyeliner and all these different, like, I don't even know what all the different kinds of ways you can apply eyeliner, but they had longer tail pages, the URL, the headline all matched for those that would not compete with this mainstay page. What blew my mind, here's, here's the thing that like tore me down. I then wondered, is that also true for video? So I did like Sephora, who's got the number one spot, branded search using Google for Sephora, how to apply eyeliner, did CoverGirl, did Maybelline, did a bunch of the other brands. CoverGirl, for example, in the page one results, just for branded video searches using Google, has the word apply like 13 times in the titles and the descriptions and all these different videos. You go to Sephora, they use the word apply freaking once. And there, again, every other video that they create that has to do with eyeliner is using those synonyms and it's for specific types of eyeliner application. But they only use the word apply once. It's just less is more. And I think that's why in the case of somebody like Into the Gloss, it's just, I, I don't think they necessarily did it on purpose. I mean, okay, they probably did. They're freaking savvy as hell, the Into the Gloss people. But the thing is, this is why medium and up and coming retailers can eat the lunch of large legacy brands cuz their content has sprawled so out of control that you can come in and Google will reward you for having less but higher quality.
0: Interesting that makes sense. It's such a, a kind of counter narrative to to what most people think about. I mean, heck, heck we started talking about it and it's still true to some level like yeah, I mean it's a lot of people bemoan myself included the fact that you're competing with these monsters on the content side, but also on the product side too. I mean, a lot of thinking about the ability of, of big websites with domain authority to just rank, you know, just because they're domain authorities. That's cool. That's I, it's like the one of the, the few encouraging things about ranking over big brands or big websites that uh, that I've heard in a while. So
1: good, absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I want to talk about. Talk about the figure uh, so you know B2B content. Maybe, maybe quickly before we dive into your article as a case study, how like how is when you think about crafting B2B content versus B2C content, like what? Really, what's what's different? Like, is it just more technical? Is it you talked about like the text aspects, right? Probably more text versus video in a lot of cases. More research driven. What kind of topics work? Are you are you focused more on white papers? When you think about doing B two B well versus B two C, if someone's moving from B two C to B two B, or they just haven't done B two B well in the, in the past. Like, what do you think about first and foremost from what kind of content performs the best?
1: You just totally stole my thunder. You just like named off everything I would have said. (laughs) You, yes. You have you done this before? This is
0: poorly poorly at best.
1: (laughs) The the backbone of words I think is true in both cases. I know it's true in B2B, the backbone of words, because words are gonna be it's still the dominant form of search on desktop. Decision makers are gonna default to desktop. Whereas in B2C, it's so much more mobile, social, video, image. Like the center of B2C really is brand aesthetics and messaging, branding in general. And then everything flows out of that. Whereas a B2B strategy, it starts with what I like to call ground zero keywords to validate And I'll collect like 10 to 15 when I start engagements with new clients, 10 to 15 ground zero keywords that are like those seed terms we kind of talked about before. Maybe ERP solution is one of them. But they're terms that have enough search volume to register, but we can also locate them very clearly at top, middle, or bottom funnel and create content accordingly. But then those ground zero keywords validate the pain points and the needs that people have. So they're looking for them. On top of that, the written backbone then gets repurposed and reused throughout the rest of the funnel. So wherever that ground zero keyword lands, top, middle, or bottom, if it's a top or mid funnel type of keyword. Like, for example, I'm doing work with customer support. And customer experience is a high-volume keyword that touches on customer support, but it's never going to be a mid- or bottom-funnel search term. We might be able to generate traffic from it and get people into the funnel, but they're always going to come through at the top of the funnel because it's not a one-for-one one with the product offering. That means anything we build around customer experience needs to have a really seductive Guide or cheat sheet or checklist to get them to raise their hand, like right, to give us their information, to have some qualifications during that sign up process to figure out are they a lead? Are they a marketing qualified lead? How do we need to nurture? this person as they come in and their company. And then we can build out from the rest of the content we've created around support or experience, the email nurture sequence, maybe a webinar that then gets teed up. But that backbone is still there. And it's just about repurposing so that everything starts with copy and paste.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Let's, Let's jump into dissecting a post that you wrote. What is the future of e-commerce? 10 insights on the evolution of an industry. Uh, Great post, by the way. Fantastic. And did incredibly well in terms of getting visibility got shared a ton of times I think you know uh, twelve thousand shares on Facebook it just I, I saw it uh, a lot of different places and I thought that'd be an interesting kind of case study to talk about how how you approach that so maybe the whole thing and, and for an arc just so we can frame it up and then we'll come back to the beginning you know how do you pick the topic how do you research it how did you optimize it how do you promote it and then at the, the very end probably the most important part like how do you make sure that that article getting visibility and people reading it, contributes to the larger goal of making Shopify stock price go through the roof, right? Like getting real customers. So so maybe we can start with, you know, how did you, why did you pick that topic? Like what, what was that part of a massive, you know, I'm sure you have a massive keyword strategy. Was that just a, I'll let you, I'll describe it. What was it that made you pick that topic and invest the time to,
1: to read it? As with most of my biggest wins, I fell backwards into this. <laughs> and now, and now learned lessons from that. To, okay, now I understand and I can move forward and do this intentionally. But straight up, nah. we had this article from like 2016, 2017. It was super dated. That still got plenty of traffic because it was middling of page one, depending on the search someone did, sometimes it'd show up in one or two on the future of e-commerce, and I was staring this one down because I was like, that's bugging me. It's got a year in the URL. The headline screams, this is dated, but people are still going to it. I wonder, we had a couple other articles as well that were like f- dancing around the idea of future that really weren't performing that well. This was one of the original guinea pigs where I just thought, I wonder what would happen if we consolidated all of those and... Just built something new, something that was up-to-date with an evergreen URL with no date in it, no date in the headline, and we just put it on a cycle of like, let's just update this thing once a year. This was one of two articles, and not in its form that you see right now, that was that experiment I talked about over Christmas break. They told me, like, don't do this. I was like, okay, I'll just wait till I get, yeah. So they do this, this thing. So really, it's just like, okay, this article is getting traffic. I think it can get more traffic. It needs an update. It needs a fresh coat of paint. There's these other URLs that are competing for it. Let's put them all together. Let's redirect everything, and let's just see how it does. So that was the first iteration of it. And it just went off like gangbusters about two years ago. I think it's what it was. Nothing like what this last one did. So that first version of it was at least updated, and it was solid. I put my name on it. It was solid. Come back around to, okay, now it's 2019. It's time to, to update this with new statistics. And just balled out on the amount of data that was included in this. There is no proprietary data in this. It's all publicly available, or at least behind like eMarketer and Statista paywall. Right? So it's it's just, a, it's an aggregation of data for one. And then the other thing is I started, I learned very early on when I was freelancing to make promotion a team sport. So I would try to get people I knew to just Contribute original insights to articles, not in a roundup-ish sort of way, but really asking them pointed questions about interesting topics that they were experts in. So did the exact same thing with this in version two, the one that you see today, which is how I got people like the head of Google Canada. Roan is in there, Paul Munford from Lean Lux contributed a part of it. I think a name drop Web Smith from 2PM inside of it. There's just a bunch of like original insights and contributions all throughout. Uh, Heidi Zack from Third Love is in there, like amazing D2C brand. So those are like the two things, like tons and tons of data and then just reach out, reach out, reach out and make it really, really relevant. So like I was asking Heidi, Zach explicitly about this amazing New York Times full page open letter they bought when they were slugging it out with Victoria's Secret and uh, Savage Fenty. Rihanna's brand was also sort of in the mix. It was like this crazy intramural lingerie underwear fight on social media. <laughs> so this is like there's these really interesting topics inside of it, and weaving those together with the data background, I think is one of the one of the things that made this really pop off.
0: And so when when you think about doing this, so so the first part you mentioned was was just looking at what was ranking well that was a little bit old, outdated. And, and so, do you? Is that kind of a cornerstone cornerstone strategy for I guess any good content marketing is just seeing what's what's ranking well despite the fact that it's old and dusty and it hasn't gotten love in forever, and just totally revamping that because chances are, if you give it a little bit love, it's gonna just gonna get a, you're gonna supercharge what's already working well that you're kind of ignoring.
1: I'm nodding so hard right now. I love coming in and seeing a bunch of things that are on like page two and three of Google, especially if they're cannibalizing each other. I'm like. I'm going to look like a freaking genius to these people. This is going to be amazing. I and mean, it's, it's going to get them like really good results too. They're going to be super happy with it. And it also just so happens that it's easier to do. It takes less effort to do that.
0: Oh man, I think about, I think about the content that I have, both from what's ranking well that I, sometimes when I go and I'll Google things or I'll see in my, res, in my analytics, I'll be like, oh, this article's ranking still, I mean, I haven't, this is like five years old, four years old. It's, it's half outdated and it's still at, 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 you know, position, position seven, like something like that would be, would be prime. And then I'm kicking myself as well from all the stuff you're talking about consolidating topics to one place. I've got, you know, shopping cart stuff. There's probably, you know, Eight, 10 different articles and podcasts and everything that you could could, could kind of silo around to the strategy you mentioned. What what did you, you know, you talked about how you picked the topic, kind of fell into it. You talked about the research and it was, you know, public going through publicly available things, talking to people, uh, interesting questions. How long to give somebody, like, for somebody to have a sense of how much time goes into this? I think some people underestimate how much time it takes to invest in great, great content. If you had to ballpark how long, did it take you to revamp this most recent 2019 version of the article?
1: It unfolded over a, at least three month process, not eight hours a day for three months, but with the outreach and the iterations of editing that it went through, especially the outreach, that's the thing that eat up a lot of time. And I mean, I, I, but I legitimately like to joke about this one that it, you know this took me 4 years and a day like i could not have written this article 4 years ago when i started at shopify plus i didn't have the industry knowledge i didn't have the industry connections i wouldn't have known what to look out for uh, i wouldn't have known how to interpret the data it took all of that 4 years to then finally produce this and listen like i'm so glad you brought this one up Because I peaked early this year. I am not going to write anything better than this (laughs) for a while. It's like legit work. The thing is, at the same time, like a lot of this, there's so much economy of effort that goes into this. Because this, if you Google online shopping trends, like number one or number two, is basically the sequel to this article that was, for all intents and purposes, extra stuff I couldn't include in it. So let's spin that out into its own thing. I'm going to be given presentations on this. I've already given two this year. I'm going to be given at least two more at like largish gigs on it. So once something's out there, take advantage of it as much as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, so so what would you do? I mean, you, at the time, you had the ability to, and granted, you weren't working on this three, three months, eight hours a day, it was incremental. But, you know, there's hundreds of hours of work Involved in this apart from the industry expertise that you built up over years. How should somebody like, let's say you got someone who's a let's say they're selling B2B, but they're a five million dollar e-commerce store and they've they've probably, you know, probably have someone on the content marketing side, but they've got to make the decision as everyone does. But it's it's probably even more critical for them with their limited resources. Do I, you know, I can invest in maybe let's say a couple of these type of cornerstone content pieces per year, you know, like State of the Merchant that I do. I, if I did that twice a year, it would kill me, right? Like same kind of thing. It's brutal. And so, how do you think about going insanely, insanely deep like you did on this thing, versus saying we're going to have, you know, we're going to we're going to we're not going to do just you know super short fluff pieces, but you can probably that you know that. You can probably get half a dozen really good deep articles for the amount it would take to get one slam dunk article like the one we're talking about here. So for smaller businesses, what do you think is better if you had to pick between
1: those two? Number one, know your goals. Know how those goals, the content you're creating, interlocks with your funnel. Very... so the. It is heartbreaking how many content teams, content individuals, agencies are just under the lash of a vague imperative, thou shalt post three times a week and support thine efforts on social. To be owned by quotas and calendars is murder. And you—and very rarely will you get the chance to then create anything that actually makes a bottom line difference. It's for some reason, really hard to convince leadership that less is more. It takes often one big win for them to see that. So that I I often preach like to clients and luckily I'm in a position where I can do this really hardcore upfront. Like I'm not going to write anything for the first month and you're going to pay me the full price as though I were because we're going to lay a foundation and a strategy. And then month two, one, maybe two large pieces. And it's the same rate as if like, once we get rolling, maybe we're doing two to three of these a month Uh, or two short form, one long form. But it's the, what is our goal? Is our goal awareness and traffic? Right out of that is then at least lead generation, demand generation flowing out of it. If that's the goal, then there is an exponential difference in ROI, page one versus anything off of page one, positions five and up and positions one. It's just, they don't even compete. It's different worlds, the amount of traffic and exposure and leads that come through organically based on those buckets. And so it's just convincing yourself if you're producing content that there is, you don't win. You don't get a prize. There's no trophy for posting regularly. Most people won't even notice. It's a, it, Where can I dig deep? Because the wins of those sacred positions demolish everything else. Steal yourself with that insight. Number one, the goals. Number two, it is absolutely fine to produce short-form content, sub-1,000 words, Clustered around a certain idea like ERP or multi channel or bracelets or how to find the best fit t shirt, whatever. Like it's just you can cluster them around there. And maybe there's like four different ways t shirts and there's like different things you should be doing and looking and fabric counts and I don't know how it works. The hems, the there's probably a bunch of stuff about t shirts you can write about. Drip that stuff out over six months, over a year. Make it the discipline to stay on point on topic. It's freaking t-shirts and how they fit and how they're made and how they're worn and whatever, whatever. But know that at the end of that, you are going to sacrifice all of those individual articles and, and turn them into one of these, the best thing that anyone's ever seen about t-shirts.
0: And and why why not do that all at once? I mean, why why do that... You go out, let's say you, you consolidate a dozen articles into the one master one, very similarly to the art, the, the process you talked about at the top. Why not just launch it from the gates? I guess you get, I mean, I guess you can, you get the benefit of the traffic in between. Uh, you don't have to ha- you don't have to wait six months to release it all. Maybe, and maybe that's the answer right there, but it seems like why, why, apart from that, why build it all up to cannibalize it into one as opposed to just focus on that from the beginning?
1: It's easier. I mean, what's that old saying? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. If you try to swallow it all at once, especially if you haven't done this before, it is intimidating. AF to try to sit down and write three, four, five thousand words and build custom images for it, and all the links and the data and trying to get quotes to flesh this thing out. It's it'll just like it'll murder you, especially if you've never done it before. It's it's hard on me even to do this stuff, but. If it's like, okay, I'm going to go out for a two-mile run, and then again, and then again, and then a three, and then again, and then again, and then a five, and eventually I'm going to run a marathon, it's the same exact principle. You're just like conditioning yourself, and you're actually getting something done so that you are putting something out there in the world. The extra benefit is there's a pretty good chance a couple of those articles are going to get a link or two to them as you put them out. They're going to get some time online. Google's going to register them and crawl them. And when all of those pages then consolidate, you get all the extra benefit, the SEO benefits of everything now being pushed to one. So there are a lot of like upsides to doing it that way. But the biggest one is simply it's manageable. You can actually do it if you do it like that. As long as you do enough of that keyword research so that you know the first thing I got to bite off is t-shirt fabrics. And then the next big keyword is t-shirt hems. And then the next one is all the different types of cuts. So that you're 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 doing it in a very disciplined manner as you drip it out.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. How to talk a little bit about how you promoted this. So you there's kind of that old adage, you know, you should spend, I don't know, half your time writing, half your time promoting, or maybe it's even 80% of your time promoting, 20% of your time writing. Did you you know, I'm guessing with the people that you interviewed for this story, especially, especially that they were, it was thoughtful, deep questions you asked based on their expertise. They were, they were more likely than your average roundup people to, to help promote it. But how did you, how do you think about programming this? How much time did you spend on it? Did you do social? Talk about that.
1: It's absolutely, so on my end, because I don't get to play with the social budgets and I don't want to. Not shop Shopify, not at, with my freelance. I have no business doing that. I don't know how to do it. I know just enough about it to sound sort of intelligent for five minutes with no <laughs> follow-up questions. <laughs> it really is getting people to contribute original insights that they're proud of. If you look at this article, you'll see headshots, every single one of them, and a link. It's silly how much that makes somebody want to actually share it. When there are faces inside of it versus just their name. And then you add a link to it. And then it's a meaty contribution that maybe you help them and ask a follow-up question on. And they sound smarter as a result of it you put a picture in like right there's there's these really nice pictures like all birds was in there their head of retail contributed and i was super excited and they were like oh you got this old picture from google like i showed it to him before no no no, we got these brand new ones you should use one of these from our dropbox so then they're even more bought in and excited about it so i do the, the promotion is baked into the actual creation itself i then i mean i think the the outside of that is like i included paul paul mumford i reached out to lean lux you, you know them right uh, no, I don't huh? Oh, get out of here. okay, not not to like hurt your feelings, like, but yeah, Lean Lux and two pm are just like my weekly email Bibles for e-commerce and d2c.
0: Cool. Lean Lux. And what was the other one?
1: Two pm. Websmith.
0: Oh, I've heard two p.m. Yeah.
1: Yeah. they're those two dudes, like are really good friends. And I was in Lean Lux's Slack group, mixed it up a little bit. I cold emailed Paul when this was first like starting to come together and come out. He was super nice and responsive and gave me this like amazing quote, and I'm including him in two different articles, that other online shopping trends one. And that was just all about he had just contributed to a Digiday article, I think it was, on D2C. And he had said some stuff about acquisition channels and Amazon. And he's like hardcore against Amazon, like you've got to have a moat and you've got to own your customers and your data. But there was this one line inside that article where there wasn't actually quote marks around it, but it still said, says Paul on it. And I noticed that and that was like sort of my opening gambit of like, this seemed kind of weird, what was said here, but there wasn't quotes around it. Do you actually think that? And that was like, boom, he didn't. He was like, no, that was not a good representation. But it was that little touch of, like, I'm, I'm into this person. So he ends up, when it comes out, his his email list is like decision makers in e-commerce. And, and just in retail in general. And he put that this thing front and flipping center. Like full image, fire emojis. And I never asked him to do that. I wasn't even sure if he was going to. I was nervous when it finally went out. I'm an insecure dude. And when I said, thanks, he was like, what did you think was going to happen? And I really didn't know. Like, I didn't know if he was going to get it and eventually not like it. But all of that process went into it. Like, that's reach I never, ever could have had on my own, nor that you could even like probably buy or pay for. And it ends up going into 2 p.m. And then the next 2 p.m. email that comes out, it's the number one clicked link. And it just blew my mind. It was like, but that doesn't happen without intentionality on the front end that baking the promotion into the post itself.
0: I'm starting to run a little low on time, but one last thing, and I'm going to be a little, admittedly a little selfish here. I'd love to have you rip apart the state of the merchant that I've mentioned. And I'm, I'm going to throw a couple of things out there, see if I've learned a few things from you here in the last last hour. But two things I would guess from the get-go you're going to tell me to do is one, I've got three merchant reports spread out over three different URLs. There's, there's you know, there's, you know, there's stuff about promoting it. I've got probably, you know, with podcast summaries, there's probably six or seven URLs. So first thing I'm guessing you're going to tell me to do put it all in one, put it all in one homepage. And then from there, you know, you, you have the you have the links to all the different separate things. What else apart from that, like, and be ruthless, man, I got, you know, Imagine I have no soul, no feelings, you know, very limited feelings, which is pretty true. So be ruthless and, and rip this apart as best you can. I would love to hear what, uh, if this was on the Shopify Plus blog as your editor, what things would just make you gag and be like, "No, nah, we got to change these if we're ever even going to think about putting this
1: publicly. Why is it titled State of the Merchant?
0: That's a great question. Because it just, it's as zero SEO application, it just seemed like a good overarching name for a report of its type. So that's right. So it there's has not a zero. good reason for it.
1: <laughs> I, I just won this. I just typed this in. I use keyword tool.io. Inexpensive, easy to use. State of merchant, search volume, grayed out, N slash A question mark.
0: Yeah, fair enough. There's probably, yeah, zero.
1: I don't know if the, what terms this may or may not be ranking for, but next year or as you consolidate this, right, it's. It's got to be like state of e-commerce is probably going to have a better Mm -hmm. search return. And there's probably even better ones than that because I know I'm prone to that same thing too. Like I really like highfalutin sounding studies. People just aren't searching for state of really anything. Yeah, no. But I I would track that down to see like that's number one. Most of this kind of stuff lives or dies by especially new, new visitors mm -hmm. by search.
0: Got it. Awesome. This is great.
1: Yeah. Number two, that whole thing of like, do you really, you've got like a, oh yeah, dude, get rid of that date. Dude, ecommercefuel.com slash ecommerce this year. That should be when next I visit this a year from now, I will have failed you if that or some equivalent is not the title. He has a post called SEO this year. That dude has, like, so much effing SEO traffic because that's what he writes about. And you pay attention to, like, Backlinko's URLs. It's freaking brilliant. Dude has, like, probably 10, maybe 15 active posts. That is it. And it is a monster. Brian Dean, the site is Backlinko. Backlinko, Backlinko.com. And one of them is... Let's, let's do it right now. I'm going to just search for SEO this year. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. That's, Bam. Yeah. And he changes it every year. So like right now, it's returning number one on Google, SEO in 20, 2019, the definitive guide, and the URL is SEO-this-year, e-commerce this year. In fact, you should edit this out. Don't even let other people know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's because he's got the whole guide here, but then he also has the download link for the PDF right at the top. And I'm guessing if I click that, it's going to ask for an opt-in. Yep, it
1: does. Yep. Yeah. Okay, the only other thing is, um, I'm going to sound like a complete asshole. I just Googled e-commerce this year and guess what the number one result is?
0: Guessing not the state of the merchant.
1: <laughs> the future of e-commerce article we were just looking at. I am not kidding you. <laughs>
0: oh, no. I didn't <laughs> oh, do this on purpose. Man. I
1: swear everything that's holy. I did not do this on purpose. Awesome. Okay, you could steal it from us though. You absolutely can.
0: Now, I, I can come up with something different, but I, the, point, the point of something more general that's, that's evergreen that you can have as the homepage and nest all of the stuff for you know, subsequent years under it, uh, yeah, that makes way more
1: sense. So number one, figure out what you're trying to get organic traffic from. Go hardcore at it. Number two, consolidate the hell out of anything else that's competing on your site for that term. Throw it all at the new state of the merchant or whatever it becomes. Number three, What do you want someone to do who lands on this page?
0: I would want them either to sign up for the email list or to apply to join our community.
1: Okay, so I get there and I see there's a navigation that disappears as soon as I scroll past it. I got a get notifications, things on the right, and then I've got like a grow your store to seven figures and beyond. None of those relate one for one with the content I'm experiencing that I came looking for. What I would do, kill everything, That's a call to action, except for whatever the one thing you want them to do is. Set yourself up a pages, because it's the easiest one to send links through when you export it as a PDF, way easier than Word. Set yourself up a pages template, all the right fonts, match the heading sizes and things like that. Get into your CMS, copy and paste into that, tweak it a little bit. It'll take you like an afternoon to the first one, and then give me a give me a call to action probably immediately below the first image as a caption where the caption should say and it should be formatted slightly differently the caption should say something like data compiled within the 2019 state of the merchant report and that 2019 state of the merchant report is a is linked to either a pop-up or a landing page. I prefer a pop-up. Lead Pages makes this super easy. It's garbage to track attribution, but it makes it super easy to just get someone's email. So they click it, Lead Pages pops up a little box into your email, you can put more in there if you want, like as far as their size and things like that. And then it just goes, it shoots them the, the report, the PDF that you made based on that pages template. I'd put that underneath the first image and then like, I'd be really tempted to... Do you have like a overlay, a pop-up that fires on this page? No pop-ups.
0: I don't do any pop-ups on the website. I've got a little, uh, you know, some, some bottom, not, not full-page pop-ups now.
1: Okay. I would totally do that. Like either you could do full-page, maybe an overlay. I really like unbounces, the way they run theirs. There's lots of other ones you can do. You can do it with lead pages with a time delay. I just like to really, really time delay that so it doesn't interrupt anybody. And it's also an X in intent. So they've got to get to like 30% scroll depth. And then the exact same thing pops up. A lot of information in here. If you'd like to save it for later or share it with your team, grab it as a PDF.
0: Yeah. Or how about lots of information in here? If you want the three most actual takeaways, click here and you have to read.
1: There we go, dude. I'm not kidding you. That's where we're going next. Yeah. Yes. Because that was like the thing that I felt like when I read this, is lacking. It's like here's all the what, some why, but not a lot of how or so what in here. Cause what I wanna know, and listen, I got pushed hard on this by the people I reported to. Like I am so hardcore driven to just do the like the here's all the information you need. And the thing that I got pushed on really hard was like, Aaron, you're really good at that. You've got to tell us what to do with it, and I think that was like that was a big aha thing that finally came to fruition in that future of e-commerce article. Was it was like so what? So I want the so what, and that'd be really nice to put it as like the extra. I mean, even having something towards the top where it's like warning: you are about to drink from an e-commerce data hose. <laughs> it's going to be a lot to take in.
0: <laughs> That's
1: awesome. But we've also prioritized the top 10 takeaways based on the trends we've identified. That would be a real gift. That would be serving your audience. Because I know the thing that I do too is like I love to throw information and tactics at people. And it's like after the initial, wow, that's really cool. The the very next thought is, fuck, one more thing I got to do? I'm already like strapped. Tell me which one's most important. And if I'm already good at that one, let me check it off the list and go on to the next one. At least give me that. And I realize I'm really bad at this. So I'm like, this is live for me to be thinking about how I position this in my content
0: yeah this is this is awesome thank you super super appreciative and, and and on point for all of this and yeah when we chat again hopefully in a year i'll have something that's uh much less uh humiliating from a content marketing perspective so so thank you we we only have a couple minutes left i want to absolutely make sure we talk about iconic content which is your site uh, of course uh, mentioned both these things at the top but you're the the uh, editor at shopify shopify plus and You've branched out on your own and you've got a pretty cool business offering for people. Can you talk a little bit about it?
1: Sure. I have taken all of the great, wonderful learnings and lessons that we've talked about for the last 30 minutes and solidified them and gone out on my own to really put my money and my life where my mouth is. So most engagements are B2B by and large. I don't really understand B2C too much, just enough to, again, no follow-up questions, and I'm good. But uh, the B2B, especially for organizations that have, you know, SASSes, applications, tools within the commerce ecosystem, I live and breathe that. And so that's the vast majority of what I'm doing these days is creating these kind of content strategies based on retention metrics for the SaaS itself. What are the keywords? What are our personas? How do we map something out quarter over quarter so that there's a real economy of effort and basically work myself out of a job within three to six months during these engagements and do a lot of in-house training as well? That's one of my favorite things to do is to get to come in and help augment, be sort of like an interim strategist, interim EIC for organizations and really help their teams immensely and then leave.
0: So cool. Obviously, if you've been listening, you know this guy knows he's talking about iconiccontent.com and the spelling on that is I-C-O-N-I. C-O-N-T-E-N-T. Just one C between iconic and content there. Link up to it in the show notes. Aaron, we got to wrap up, but so good chatting with you in depth. You've got a ton of good stuff to offer that I am going to have to get to work it on my, my 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 site as well. This has been a lot of fun, man. Thanks for, for dropping so many knowledge bombs and, and taking the time to come on.
1: I am a mad fan. I want nothing that I just said when you said, I don't know, you don't have a soul. <laughs> I took that very seriously. I just went at you. I really, really do. Man, this is one of my favorite things to read, the State of the Merchant Report, just the way that you do serve your audience and you really work. I know how backbreaking it is to create something that's uh, original research. It's no joke. So I applaud you for that and the community you've built beautiful. Well,
0: thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, I can step the game up much more next year with a lot of your awesome, awesome feedback. And same to you, man. The Shopify Plus blog, uh, I know you're, you've kind of moved on, but you did a pretty incredible thing writing that, curating that, leading that, and tons of amazing stuff over there. Right back at you, man. I, uh, I've enjoyed what you've done over the last couple of years.
1: Thank you so much.
0: If you're listening to this and you own your own e-commerce business, and chances are probably pretty good that you do if you've gotten this far through the episode, you need to check out our private community for store owners. It's a a vetted group of over a thousand store owners and experienced professionals and the reason it's different is, is, just like I mentioned, it's vetted. We go through and we require all new members have a seven-figure business. They actually have experience in the space. And we go through and we review all applications to make sure everyone's legit when they come in. And then once everyone gets inside, it's not a free-for-all. We we moderate in ways where if people are being jerks or you know behaving inappropriately, we toss them out. If people come in and do nothing but ask questions, we toss them out. We really value experience. We value reciprocity. And it's a place where you're going to be able to connect with other store owners to learn what's working, but also make good friends. Like some of my best friends I have met through this community. And I know that others can say that as well. So if you're interested in learning more and applying for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash form. That's F-O-R-U-M. And of course, I want to give a huge thank you to the few sponsors who make this show possible. First to Liquid Web, who offers the absolute best place to host your WooCommerce store online, a scalable, rock-solid platform. If you want to learn more about them and how they can supercharge your WooCommerce store, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Liquid Web and also to the team over at Klaviyo, who makes email automation incredibly easy and powerful. You can get started for free and test drive their platform at ecommercefuel.com forward slash Klaviyo. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate your time and you following the podcast and looking forward to catching you again next Friday. want to connect with and learn from other proven e-commerce entrepreneurs join us in the e-commerce fuel private community it's our tight-knit vetted group for store owners with at least a quarter million dollars in annual sales you can learn more and apply for membership at ecommercefuel.com thanks so much for listening and i'm looking forward to seeing you again next time The ASY Radio Network Live from New York.